Well, today we are beginning our new sermon series called Grow. We have made our way through Lent, through Holy Week, through Easter service, and now we have seven weeks called Eastertide, leading us to Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit was poured out like tongues of fire. So alongside the green growth outside, the blooming flowers, we thought, what a better time to think about the way that life is springing forth in our own lives, spiritually, but also collectively as Ashland Place United Methodist Church. And I think we've gotten a pretty good jump start on that. I mean, today we've had a beautiful baptism, this huge celebration of the reopening of the Joseph Project. Over the last couple of the weeks, we've had children come in waving palms and singing hallelujah. We've had youth and confirmands serving as acolytes and cross-bearers and helping us during the Good Friday service. Our choir and handbells have done beautifully leading us in music and worship. We've had fellowship. We've had a covered dish meal. We've had Wednesday night Bible study, Wednesday night supper. And let us not forget the most basic thing that we have done. We have been together in person to celebrate the resurrection. And what a gift, what a gift that is. It's always a challenge to know where to go, though, after Easter Sunday. It's the biggest day of our Christian year. It is the thing that sets us apart, the culmination of Jesus' life and ministry. People near and far gathered to say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. So today we gather as Easter people, people that have seen that the tomb is empty, who declare that death and darkness will not have the final word, and that because Christ is risen victorious, that we can have life eternal with Christ. So as those Easter people, God has called us to grow into people in congregations that reflect our resurrection hope. And we do this by actively participating in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that has happened and by showing people that the kingdom of God indeed is already here. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking in the book of Acts. What better place to look than the first century church? The people who literally had to figure out what to do right after the resurrection. And we can see how they grew the church how they grew their faith, how they grew their witness. And so today we're starting at the very beginning in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So here now the reading. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. So Luke begins this, the second of his volumes, the Acts of the Apostles, with a brief transition. He says, after Jesus did all the things he did and before he was raised up, he spent these 40 days with the apostles. And during those 40 days, he was still trying to convince them that, yes, I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the Son of God. I am the one that you can trust. And the thing he was focusing on, what Luke tells us he taught during those 40 days over and over and over again, is about the kingdom of God. The apostles by this point had to have been very acquainted with the kingdom of God because in the New Testament, the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven appears over 80 times. This was a centerpiece of Jesus' message while he was on earth before his death and even following the resurrection. Yet people have, even the ones who have seen him, they know that he rose from the dead, they know the tomb is empty, They're still conflating the message about this new kingdom with their own hopes and desires for Israel's restoration. And so that's what the apostles think he's talking about, or perhaps what they hope Jesus is talking about. They believe that when Israel is once again made the preeminent nation that it once was under King David, then they will surely be God's people. Of course, they also will have wealth and autonomy and be able to hold their heads high, knowing they are the chosen ones. So they ask Jesus, Lord, is it now? Is is this the time when you're going to do it? We've been waiting. We would be really glad if you would restore Israel now. The The dichotomy between kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God have been a focal point throughout the Gospels. I mean, think back to Palm Sunday, the day when we celebrate that Jesus triumphantly came into Jerusalem. Well, there was another entry that same day. Pilate came in from the West Gate on a white stallion with an entourage of royal officials. And then here comes Jesus on an untested colt with women and fishermen and sinners all around him. This couldn't have been a different entry into the holy city. These two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, are very different kingdoms because one flaunts power and dominion over people and demands loyalty, and the other one preaches peace and loving your enemy. He washes the feet of those who will betray him and invites others to do the same. Kingdoms of the world, even really good kingdoms like the one under King David and the kingdom of God will never be the same because they have totally different motivations and goals and boundaries and values. And so Jesus is trying desperately to get this message across. It's almost time for him to ascend back to heaven. And so he's trying one last time to tell them that God's people are no longer confined to one people group. That no longer are God's chosen one only from one bloodline. When God took on flesh and came and lived among humanity in the person of Jesus, a piece of the divine was brought down. And through the cross of Jesus, the gates were opened to all people. People of every age, nation, race, 
are now available, are now able to enter into God's grand kingdom. So here in this last conversation he has before his ascension, he gives them one final task. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be given power. And here's what to do with that power. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I'm assuming here that none of us grew up in the Middle East. You know, we may not know exactly what that means when Jesus gives us those landmarks. Sure, we've heard about these places, we've studied these places, but just like anywhere you're kind of unfamiliar with, you may not know the reputation or the culture of each of those cities. This was true for Micah and me when we moved to Mobile. I kind of thought I knew the area at least a little bit. You know, I was from across the bay, which is quite a chasm, but we came to Mobile often. I mean, I was born in Mobile while we lived in Citronelle. I had an uncle that lived in Sims. In elementary school, we would come to the Explorium. We came to the Battleship. I remember going to ballets at the Sanger. In high school, we would come over to the Christmas lights at Bellingraf Gardens. We would come to Mardi Gras. I mean, I had been to Mobile, you know? But because, number one, I am directionally challenged, and number two, I wasn't living here every day, I kind of lumped all those things together as mobile. And I'm sure those of you who have lived here your whole life are thinking, nope, Citronelle is not mobile. Theodore is not mobile. You could even argue, I mean, that like the battleship isn't really mobile. You know, you're kind of still on the water out there in the bay. And then I got to thinking, you know, it's kind of like Gainesville and Tallahassee. They're kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> Tuscaloosa and Auburn, it's kind of, I mean, it's the same thing. Two cities in Alabama. You know, Judea and Samaria... They border each other. So it's Samaria here and Judea right underneath it. They are both in Israel. They are geographically close. And if we didn't look into this further, we may think it's basically the same thing. Jesus just said, be my witnesses in your country. You know, it's kind of tempting to think like that. But if we dig a little deeper, if we look into these two places, we'll see that they are totally different. Jerusalem is the capital of Judea. This is the holy city, the one place where people would come and meet the divine. There was a temple which was destroyed, and then another temple was built and was destroyed, but this is where people would come to meet the divine. They would bring their sacrifices. They would travel for the holy days like our Easter and Christmas because they wanted to be close to God. Because for them, you couldn't just meet with God anywhere. You didn't have that access like we do through the Holy Spirit. So Jerusalem was a holy and set-apart place. So when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, I'm sure they thought, that's easy. That's where we are right now. I can do that anytime, anywhere. And even when Jesus extended it a little bit and said, and to Judea, that just includes like Bethlehem. You know, it's a bigger area, but still Jerusalem there. But when Jesus said Samaria, Jesus is saying something deeper. He is crossing a boundary that they literally wouldn't cross. The animosity was so deep between Judeans and the Samaritans 
that often when they had to travel, they would avoid walking or riding through Samaria by going the long way around, going through the Jordan River, as to not have to go through the territory of Samaria. Now, this divide goes way back to the split of the northern and southern kingdoms. They have deep disagreements about how to worship God, about where to worship God. So what is Jesus doing here? Saying, you will be my witnesses, not only in your hometown, not only in the space you're comfortable with, but also in the places you avoid, to the people you hate, to those you wish were not your neighbors. And then, as the cherry on top, Jesus says, and to the ends of the earth. This is a great and challenging commission, similar to the one that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, again, right before the ascension, when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This kingdom that has been brought down through Jesus, this kingdom that has been broken open through the cross, through the resurrection, is a kingdom not just for people who can travel to Jerusalem, not just for people who live in Israel, in the Holy Land, but it's for all people. It includes people like us. And Jesus has brought this new kingdom to earth, and while we can't experience it in its entirety now, we can experience it in part through those things when we see life springing forth, when we see a glimmer of glory. The book of Acts can help us transition from Easter to the days that follow, because like the apostles, we are challenged to move beyond passively waiting for Jesus to come to earth again and fix all the things that are broken. Instead of doing that, we are led to be active participants in what the Holy Spirit is already doing here and now. If we sit staring into the heavens, just waiting for God to move, then we cannot be those witnesses that we've been called to be. Instead, we must ask, how can we help grow the kingdom that is already here? Well, this morning, we've taken a huge step in reintroducing the Joseph Project, celebrating the new leadership and inviting all of us to be a part of it, to be active participants in this ministry. You know, it's been a long two years. There were times when we weren't really sure what was going to happen. I don't know if any of y'all took home those seed packets last week and planted them, but perhaps you're still kind of waiting. Is it going to break through? Is anything happening under the soil? Well, we know that God has been working in the background, behind the scenes, through the donations to Central Presbyterian, through feeding those 75 elderly senior citizens each week, through the gleaning and distributing of satsumas, through the Christmas card campaigns, through bringing peanut butter, through the missions fundraisers. God has still been working, sustaining this ministry that does show us the kingdom of God that's already here. This ministry has been serving people, being the hands and feet of Christ for over 10 years, and I know you're not done yet. This is a ministry that shows everyone that the kingdom of God is not just for people in Ashland Place, but is for people from Sarah Land to Baila Battery, 
from Pritchard to Spring Hill, the kingdom of God is available and open to all people. So I can't help but wonder, where else is God calling us to grow? I want us to really think about this over the next 50 days, leading to Pentecost, June 5th. Where is God calling you to grow as an individual? I want us to pray about that. And I also want you to pray about where God is leading this congregation to grow. And when you pray and you ask God those questions, don't just ask and move on, but wait and listen, knowing that that growth can take time and know that it may be a challenging answer. But our hope is that over the next several weeks, we can learn from these early Christians in Acts about how to respond to the resurrection with resurrection hope. May we, like the apostles, let this gracious gift of eternal life move from our heads to our hands and our feet as we actively participate in the transformation of the world that's already happening. May we be so bold. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.